Hey, thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. It's beautiful. And hey, so good to see so many people here. Th- uh, good morning to everybody joining us online. If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Today is a big day in our study of Ephesians because we get to start the second half of this amazing letter. Remember that the first three chapters of Ephesians described the enormity of God's love for us. Uh, The first three chapters described how God has demonstrated his love toward us by, by rescuing us, by rescuing us from sin and from Satan and from hell and death through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now, as we get into the last three chapters, they tell us how God wants us to love him back. How can we love God back? And what we're going to see is that the way that we love God back is directly connected to the way that we love one another in the church. So, let's look at this. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So in this passage, Paul makes three points. First, Paul wants us to remember what God has called us out of and into. Paul wants us to remember what God has called us out of and into. Second, Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, worthy of our calling. And then third, Paul explains how to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So let's look at each of these points in order. First, Paul wants us to remember what God has called us out of and into. So in verse 1, Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so before Paul even gets into the nitty-gritty of how we can love God with our lives, Paul tells us we first need to remember why God is so worthy of our love and of our obedience. You see, if the book of Ephesians just started here with uh, chapter 4, verse 2, then what we'd mainly read is a bunch of God's commands which we do not have the power in our flesh to obey. That's not how Paul began this letter, is it? Paul just spent three chapters declaring to us the wonders of the grace of God displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul created new words to try to describe in human language the immeasurable, incalculable riches of God's grace. Paul laid a foundation for us, he says. He laid a foundation of grace for us. And he reminded us that God has rooted us in what? Do you remember? In his love. 
He's rooted us in his love. And so as we now learn how to love God with our lives, we do that differently having had this foundation in the first three verses. We do so from a place of rest in Christ. We know that while good works always characterize the life of the Christian, it is not our blood, our sweat, our tears that save us. It is Christ's. And the specific thing that Paul wants us to remember is the calling that God has given to us. Paul's not describing here God's general call to all of creation to repent and believe in the gospel. Paul is describing here God's special calling that's for those who trust in him. This is God's effectual calling through which he made us born again through faith in Christ and then applied to us all the spiritual blessings of Christ. Right? What are those spiritual blessings? God, God died for us. He purchased us on the tree. He rose for us. He created us. He regenerated us. He indwelt us. He sealed us. And he says he will eternally bless us. He says this is your calling. This is your calling in Christ. What a calling. And so... God wants us to remember what he has called us out of and what he's called us into. Because that changes how we read the commands of God. In Christ, God has called us out of God's condemnation and he's called us into God's blessing. In Christ, God has called us out of sinfulness and out of blame and he's called us into holiness and into blamelessness. In Christ, God has called us out of Satan's possession and into God's family. In Christ, God has called us out of guilt and into forgiveness. In Christ, God has called us out of separation from Christ and into union with Christ. In Christ, God has called us out of death in our trespasses and into resurrection life in Christ. In Christ, God has called us out of national and racial hostility, and he's called us into national and racial reconciliation through Christ. And in Christ, God has called us out of being strangers and aliens to God, and he's called us into being citizens and saints of God and his kingdom. And so this is our calling that we need to remember. This is, this is also the great news of Jesus Christ. Amen, that our calling is the gospel, right? That's, that's a great thing to celebrate. A second, in light of our incredible calling, Paul then urges us to do something. He urges us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Okay? Walk in a way that's worthy of your calling. So God has graciously so radically changed our hearts. He's changed our outlook. He's changed our future that, that now it is our joy and a responsibility to live lives that bring glory to his name. To live lives worthy of this calling he's given us. And earlier in chapter 2, Paul said that we are God's workmanship. Okay, So our new lives in Christ are a result of God's work. They're not a result of our work. And so as God's workmanship, we read that God created us in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
what we read in Ephesians. And, and God created us to walk in, which also means to live in good works. And so the idea is that by the power of the Spirit who now lives in us, we now seek to love God. We seek to obey God with all of our lives all the time, not just some of the time. Now, now, for a person who doesn't know Jesus, that might sound terrible, right? But, but for, for those of us who know the grace of God, who've experienced it, who know Jesus Christ as our Lord, then walking in good works is simply living the joyful life of love that God has given us a heart to live, <laughs> So what does it look like to live in and to walk in a manner that is worthy of the glorious calling that God's given us? Well, Paul says that the first and most urgent way is to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit among God's people. That's, that's what he says. Urgent. This is the first thing. You want to know what it looks like to love and to love the Lord? Here's the first instruction. Do everything you can to maintain unity in the church. And if you remember, this was Jesus' prayer the night before he died, right? For the unity of the church. And, uh, and how has Paul described this already in this letter? Well, he spent much time already describing the reconciliation that Jesus Christ offers us with God and with one another. And so as God reconciles us to himself, he's also reconciling all of us to one another. And as he does that, he says he forms us into what he calls one new man. Takes us from a lot of different men or races, and he makes us into one new man. And, and we as God's new man, Ephesians says, we are so beautiful to the Lord. We are so awesome we, we display the glory of God because of what he's done in us so wonderfully that God is actually showing us off as a church on earth cosmically to the angels and to the demons to declare the glory of his mighty reconciling love. He says, this is what only I can do. <laughs> and God's reconciliation and his unity is obviously so precious to him that he gave up everything to get it, right? He sent his only son to purchase it with his blood. And so if the unity of the church is that precious to God, then may it also be enormously precious to us, right? Now, in his third point, Paul explains how. How, how to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And he writes in verses 1 to 3, Let's read this again. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, before we really dive in and talk about the specific ways that God wants each one of us to maintain unity um, in the local church, and in the, universe, the bigger universal church, let me, let me point out two things here. First of all, uh, Paul says in verse 3 
that the unity that God has brought us into is the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So let's talk about what is that phrase, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, it means that the spiritual unity that we have together in Christ is a spirit that the Holy, uh, excuse me, is a unity that the Holy Spirit has given to us, okay? It's a gift of God's grace. So, in other words, our unity is not a man-made unity. It is not us rallying one another up trying to manufacture a unity around man-made causes. No, it says if we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit actually has already united us together in Christ as the one new man. And then what is this, the bond of peace? What's this all about? Well, the bond, what is it that unites us? <laughs> the bond that bonds us together is the peace that God has given to us, that he died for. It's the peace that we have now with God and with one another. If, if we're in Christ, uh, we're bonded by the blood of Christ. In his death, what did Jesus do? He killed the grounds of hostility between us and God, and he killed the grounds of hostility between us and one another. And he brought us together in Christ. And so, both the unity of the Spirit and the bond of Christ's peace are extremely costly. These are treasures that God has given us. And so we should handle these treasures the way that we would handle an ancient porcelain family heirloom. With great care. And with great reverence. Okay. And the second thing I want to point out here is that in order to do this, in order to maintain peace and unity in the church, we must pray, pray, pray that God would fill us with the Spirit's power and love. That's what all last week was about. You remember that? Lord, give them strength. Lord, give us your love. We need your love, Holy Spirit. Because it's not in us, but on our own. See, maintaining unity in the church in a way that honors God, it's not an easy endeavor. We cannot maintain unity in our flesh. To truly maintain unity the way God wants us to, we got to pray. we got to ask the Father to fill us with the Holy Spirit's mighty love and power. Now, let's flush that out. According to verse 2 then, four fruits of the Spirit that we are asking God to give us are one, all humility, two, all gentleness, three, patience, and four, bearing with one another in love. Okay? So we're going to talk about each one of these. This is how we do it, by the grace of God and by his power. First, to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit among us, let's ask God to grant each of us all humility. All humility. Now, by all humility, he doesn't just say humility, which is interesting. He says all humility. What he means is he, uh, he doesn't simply mean that we are willing to do menial tasks from time to time. 
You know, you can do lots of menial tasks, and you can do lots of menial tasks for the church and not be humble. Rather, Paul wants us to have humble hearts before the Lord. He wants us to have humble hearts before one another all the time. So to have all humility means to be low, to be lowly. It means this, to have a very sober view of yourself in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. Humility means to have the heart of one who desires to serve others, not to be served by others. Humility is the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of pride. Pride thinks mainly about itself, even when it thinks it's serving others, right? Pride puts its own desires before the good of others. And in the church, pride puts its own desires before the unity of God's family. Pastor Tony Merida writes, For unity in the church to exist, humble and selfless people must live for the good of others. Humble and selfless people must live for the good of others. And during his public ministry on earth, you know, Jesus not only taught a lot about this, a lot about humility, he practiced what he preached. <laughs> his very life, his very death, his very resurrection are the example for us of what humility looks like. This is the example he wants us to follow. And that's why Paul wrote in Philippians 2, 1 to 11, Listen, if, if you have any encouragement in Christ, any encouragement from love, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. This mind of Christ, which humbled him so much that he gladly suffered for the good of others, is the same humble mind that God wants you and me to have. 
Second, to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit among us, let's pray that God would grant each of us all gentleness. Gentleness. All gentleness. Gentleness does not mean being a wimp. Gentleness means being meek. That's a word we don't often use. At least I don't use that word very often. It's, it's a special word. It means that even if you have great might, you subdue your great might for the good of others. Martin Luther, I like his definition, he described gentleness and meekness as being sweet-tempered. Sweet-tempered. Gentleness means giving up your rights for the good of other people. Giving up your rights for the good of other people. So the opposite of gentleness, then, is harshness. Uh, being quick-tempered. Being abusive. Being a bully. Being brutal. Forcing your own way. That is not the way of Jesus. That's not the way to love one another or to maintain the Spirit's unity among us. Jesus wants us to be gentle and lonely and meek like he is. These were, in fact, two of the key traits of his entire ministry on earth. Think about this. As the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he could have saved us by ushering his kingdom on earth with harshness and brutality. But he didn't. Jesus brought his kingdom on earth with meekness and lowliness of spirit. He won the war. He won the war for us by laying down his life for us. That's a completely different way. Remember this. Oh, these are sweet words. Jesus' wonderful words in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 29. When Jesus tells us what his heart is like, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And may God do this for us. May he give us gentleness and meek spirits as we lay down our lives like Jesus did to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. Third, to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit among us, let's pray that God would grant each of us patience. Patience. Like gentleness, patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5. And patience is so foreign to us in our natural state that it must, I hope it's very obvious to us that the Holy Spirit must work in us. If we're going to demonstrate patience for the sake of the unity among us, that's got to be a work of the Spirit. Because what we're really good at, each one of us, we're really good at impatience, right? We're really good at not waiting. We're really good at wanting immediate results, wanting things right now, wanting things yesterday. It's interesting, though, that's not how God is. God is patient. In fact, the other word here is God is long-suffering. And he intends to make us patient and long-suffering, too, if we are in him. 
my wife has always described patience to our kids as waiting without complaining. <laughs> That's a pretty good definition. Waiting without complaining. We need the Spirit's help to do that. One of the Bible's most famous passages about love is 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul describes what love is. Now, some of you may have had that read at your wedding. Do you remember what the first word is that Paul uses to describe love? Patient. Love is patient. So how can we become more patient? Well, Pastor Tony Merida writes that the way that we cultivate patience is through prayer and through thinking often about God's patience with us. Thinking often about God's patience with us. Has God been patient with you, Christian? Have you followed God perfectly and grown into a mature Christian overnight? No, no, of course not. None of us have. God has been extremely patient with us. You read the Bible and you see God's patience demonstrated with people over and over and over again. He has been long-suffering toward you and toward all of us. So if you want to glorify God by becoming like Jesus, then ask God to give you power to be patient as you at the same time think often about how patient God has been with you. And fourth, to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit among us, let's pray that God would grant each of us to bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. I read that another way of saying this is, is to, to patiently put up with one another in love. Listen, the reality of our unity in the Spirit is that God has taken the most diverse group of people and he's made us one in him. All of us are works in progress. All of us have quirks and instincts that might annoy one another. All of us have strengths and all of us have weaknesses. And so what does Jesus tell us to do with one another in light of that? Love one another. Bear with one another in love. Don't give up on one another. Don't give up on one another in impatience or in rage. Don't abandon one another because your brothers and sisters in Christ frustrate you at times. Instead of dividing and instead of growing bitter toward one another, let's love one another. <laughs> let's love one another and let's help one another in our weaknesses. Let's humble ourselves. Let's be willing to let God work. Let willing, be willing to let God sanctify us through his imperfect and blood-bought church. Bearing with one another in love is the way of Jesus. Just think about a few illustrations, a few of the recordings we have of his own life on earth. In love, Jesus put up with all of the inconvenient, middle-of-the-night questions from Nicodemus, and he helped Nicodemus find the truth. 
in love, Jesus put up with Peter's failures, his betrayal. And he forgave Peter. And he helped Peter learn from his mistakes. And then he restored Peter. In love, Jesus put up with all of Thomas's doubts. This guy he'd spent three years with. He put up with all of Thomas's doubts, and he, he said, all right, Thomas, feel my hands, feel my side. And he patiently helped Thomas grow in his faith. If you want to be like Jesus, then make every effort to maintain peace in his body by bearing with one another in love. Be rooted in the love of God, and may the love of God flow out of you in these four ways. Now, in conclusion, let's ask the Lord to, to do this in us. Let's pray to God to give us power to remember the wonderful calling he has given us. It's not due to us. It's, it's not owed to us. It's the gift of his grace, this calling he's given us. Let's ask the Lord to give us power to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling. A, wor a manner worthy of the sacred gospel which has been handed down to us. And let's ask God to give us power as individuals and as a church to make every effort to maintain unity, this unity of the Spirit with all humility, with all gentleness, with patience, and with bearing with one another in love, this unity that Jesus went to the cross to die for in order to reconcile us to God and to one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your, your patience with us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for bearing with us and for all of our mistakes and sins and times we haven't kept our word, at times we've failed, times we've let you down and let others down. Thank you, God, for not abandoning us, not giving up on us. Thank you, Lord, that your heart is one of humility and lowliness, that you demonstrated your heart by laying down your own life to rescue us. And God, this your kingdom, your mindset, your heart is just so foreign to us in our flesh that we need you to work it out in us. And so we pray, Lord, that as you dwell in our hearts, as you make yourself more and more at home in our hearts, that you would help us to trust you more, that you would unleash more of your power in us, that we would think less of ourselves and think more about God and others. And that the fruit of that, Jesus would be a church that, although imperfect, is a church of love and grace, bearing with one another and seeking to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We pray this for your glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We love you guys so much. Thank you for being here. Hope you have a great week. And uh, God bless you guys.